John 10, 1 through 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No, no one, one takes it from me. me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, John 10 is one of the more famous chapters in all of the Bible. It's a place where Jesus gives us one of his seven I am statements. Um, he says, I am the good shepherd. And what's interesting about this declaration that Jesus is a good shepherd is that if you look at the seven I am statements in John, you find that, that this one is unique. Most of them, like I am the light that we saw last week, and then again we saw it uh, about a month ago when Pastor Scott preached, that tells us who Jesus was. You have passages where it says, uh, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, back in John 6. Or, um, I am the door. That tells us what Jesus provides us or what he gives to us. But here in John chapter 10, you have a unique way that Jesus is trying to communicate, and John helps us understand it, where Jesus says, not just what I provide or who I am, but he wants to tell us how he feels, how he feels about us, and therefore what he gives us in the way that he feels toward, toward you and me, who he calls sheep. So if, if, you, um, if you are un, as unfamiliar with sheep as I am or I was before preparing for the sermon, 
then, then you may not know that um, you know, if you grow up in FFA, if you go to the Owasso uh, Future Farmers of America page, you'll see that there's instructions on how to care for various animals. But of all the areas of animal husbandry, caring for horses or caring for cattle or caring for hogs, caring for sheep is the most intimate of relationships. And we'll see why this morning. To care for a sheep was to care for it in a very intimate way. And so the question that John asks of us as we look at John 10.10 10 this morning is how exactly is Jesus a shepherd? How is Jesus a shepherd? And therefore, what does that mean for us? Those are the two points. How is Jesus our good shepherd? And what, therefore, does that mean for you and for me? And kiddos, if you're listening to this, I want you to, to listen for every time I say the word sheep. Make a little tally mark. I also want you to listen for um, the idea of um, what does it mean for Jesus to care for us as a shepherd. Write down all the ways that a shepherd cares for his sheep. All right? Two tasks for those of you who are in upper elementary school. Number of ways that I say sheep, number of times I say it, and then particular ways that a shepherd cares for his sheep. All right, let's jump into John 10, 10. This passage uh, has this very famous verse in it where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, but he, he prefaces it by this very famous verse in John 10, 10, a verse I've been thinking about a lot this year in our church. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. Jesus, John writes just after that. Now, we take John 10, 10, I and the, the thief comes to kill, steal, kill, and destroy, and Jesus comes to give it life, and almost always those are reversed, aren't they? I mean, there are a lot of friends and family that we know, even some of you who are listening this morning. When you read that verse, you go, huh. No, it's Jesus who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and it's these other things I've found that have come to give me life and to give it to me abundantly. I mean, this is what we think. We think for, if you're a non-Christian and you're listening, it's like, listen, organized religion has just made people so narrow-minded. I mean, just listen to the number of things that Christianity says that they're against. What are they for? I'm done with faith. And they push back, and they reverse John 10.10. They say, you know, what Jesus comes to do actually sucks life from me. And these other things that I pursued actually are the ones that I find have given me abundant life. That's the exact opposite of what Scripture says, isn't it? And we know this from our own experience. And we know this in the advertisements that, that we read. For, for example, one very famous illustration of this is uh, Marlboro cigarettes. And you may remember Marlboro cigarettes. Like, what do you think of when you think of the advertisements of Marlboro cigarettes? You think of the Marlboro Man. But did you know that until 1954, Marlboro cigarettes were the cigarettes for a woman? And in a Don Draper, Mad Men kind of way in the 1950s, they said, we've got to figure out how to market Marlboro to men. And so they came up with this genius concept called the Marlboro Man. And who was the Marlboro Man? You know, the Marlboro Man was a man who rode gallantly across the pasture on a, on a horse with a Stetson hat, who lived free, the rugged individual 
for whom romance and rugged individualism could be his. And of course, the whole time he's smoking a Marlboro cigarette. And so it would say, come to where the flavor is and come be a man. This is how Marlboro marketed the promise of abundant life to people. But did you know, did you know what happened to the Marlboro man? Did you know that the Marlboro man was diagnosed with lung cancer when he was 49? His name was Wayne McLaren. And Wayne McLaren was diagnosed with lung cancer at the age of 49. They didn't tell you that, did they? And they also didn't tell you that after Wayne McLaren went through chemotherapy, he lost a lung. And after he lost his lung, Wayne McLaren actually went and sued Philip Morris, the manufacturers of Marlboro cigarettes, because of the lies of the promise of living the good life. In fact, there's an old commercial that you'll find, and, and Wayne McLaren, by the way, wasn't the only Marlboro man in reading about it. There are, there are actually three Marlboro men who died either of lung cancer or COPD, all from smoking or perhaps from largely smoking these Marlboro cigarettes. But before Wayne McLaren died, he did one final commercial, and the commercial actually shows juxtaposed Wayne McLaren as the Marlboro man with the Stetson hat, the image that all of us have seen on billboards. And also it showed juxtaposed Wayne McLaren, a withered man on his hospital bed, dying. And the voiceover of this final commercial is a voiceover of his, of his brother Charles. And Charles says hauntingly, with all of those tubes in you, how independent can you really be? And it was an anti-smoking commercial. And the commercial is haunting. The whole story of Wayne McLaren is haunting to us because it's an illustration of how we often reverse John 10.10 and how marketers know this too. And we so easily give into it. But Jesus is a good shepherd. He's not a thief. He's not a robber. He is a good shepherd. And what he tells us is true is true. In fact, the word for good that John uses of Jesus, that Jesus undoubtedly said, either in Aramaic or perhaps he did say it in Greek, is, is the term kalos, which doesn't mean good like you and I think of good. It's not a kind of a moral goodness. The word kalos is the word from which we get our English words kaleidoscope or calligraphy. Kalos means beautiful. It means attractive. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he says, I am the beautiful shepherd. I am the true source of beauty in a world where they are hanging trinkets out there to get you to reverse the truth that it's actually in me that, that you find abundant life. And so Jesus is a good shepherd, and, and he illustrates this in a couple of ways. First, he illustrates this in the fact that he knows his sheep. Look at verse 14. I'm the good shepherd, and my sheep know me, and I know my own. Now, Jesus knows you. Now, he, he knows you, and, and this is crucially important for us because um, sheep um, need to know the voice of their shepherd. Like if you take a dog and he gets out of your backyard, you know, that dog will poof, he'll sprint, he'll run. He has a purpose. Or you take a wild horse and you put a wild horse in a pasture and they're gone. Or you take something like a, you know, like a, like a, you know, another animal, and, and they'll come home. But like sheep are, are different. 
they don't just take off and, and run wild, and they also don't go find their home. They, sheep are confused animals. They follow the pack. They, they're lost. So if you let a sheep go, he's just going to wander off with no sense of direction, and he's going to get himself into a briar patch. He's, he has no sense of purpose, it seems. He just wanders. They follow the fold. They, they go where they're, they're, they're told to go. And, and frankly, sheep are very dumb individuals. They're, they're, they're stupid. Sheep are stupid. And so when we read this passage that Jesus says that you are sheep, <laughs> it's not a compliment. And yet he knows his sheep. Whenever you... Um, Elder candidates or deacon candidates, whenever you have the chance to teach a Bible study one day, or elders or deacons, you know that if you ever teach on, on John 10 or Luke 15 or Psalm 23, it's good to look up the background of what it meant to be a shepherd in the ancient Near East. And undoubtedly, you'll find a commentator somewhere who was previously a shepherd, who then became a Bible teacher. And Philip Keller was one of those who wrote a great little commentary on Psalm 23 called Psalm 23 from a Shepherd's Perspective. And Philip uh, Keller will tell you that, that a shepherd knows the voice of his sheep. In fact, there's a story where he was with a friend and they were traveling across the countryside. And his friend, who had just sold sheep you know, several weeks prior, looks out across this pasture and sees this, this flock of sheep. And, and he says to his friend, he says, oh, there are three of my lambs. And now if you're, if you're like me, you're like, how does he possibly know those are three of his sheep? This, they all look the same. But another, a mother in the midst of a community group knows the cry of her child in the next room. She knows exactly what he sounds like, what she sounds like. She knows the cadence of their cries. And a shepherd, because the relationship is so intimate, knows what sheep look like. He knows his sheep. And Jesus says, no, I know my sheep. He knows you. And he knows you. In fact, he knows you better than you know you. Like sheep are called sheep because they need a shepherd to care for them. They don't just care for them in the way that they need to be fed. They, they, he, he has to care for them in the way that, that he protects them. He has to care for them in the way that he looks out for them, in the way that he's constantly watching over them. And this particularly happens for us, I think, in two areas. Number one, he, he knows. He knows that you are utterly and completely dependent upon him. And he cares for you as a good shepherd. And he cares for you in that way because you're utterly dependent at least in two ways. First, you're utterly dependent because of your own understanding, your own self-understanding. We have a heightened sense. We either have an exaggerated sense or we have an underconfidence, an insecurity in our ability to make decisions. So either we over-exaggerate our ability to make good decisions or we are pulsillanimous and cowardly and, and, and tied into analysis process and can't make good decisions. And we know this to be true because, as some have illustrated, the way that you think about yourself 10 years ago, when you look back at some of your foolish decisions that you made a decade ago, your younger self, you think, man, if I could do that over again. I mean, how foolish could I be? I was young back then. I didn't make good decisions. I, I, I made foolish missteps. And we look back at ourselves with a sense of clarity and say, I was a fool back then. But now, I'm not really a fool. I'm really coming out of that kind of immature kind of thinking. And the problem with that is that in a decade from now, you're going to look at your life today. Your future self will look at your present self like your present self looks at your past self. And your future self is going to say, gosh, I was so foolish. Why? Because 
we are constantly people who look back at the decisions we made in the past, and many times we say, I was a fool back then. I was such a jerk. I was so rude. I was so foolish. But now I'm coming out of it. And in the future, we're going to look and say the exact same thing. I was so foolish, but now I'm coming out of it. So we constantly live in this state of thinking that we were once foolish, but now we're coming out of it. So the truth of the matter is, you're still foolish. And there's a little jerkiness in all of us. <laughs> and we've over-exaggerated our ability to make good decisions. And Jesus, of course, knows this. That's why he says that I know my sheep. I know them intimately. And not only does, do we have a, a faulty sense of understanding, but also we have a faulty sense of self-image. We have a faulty sense of self-image. You know, you, you hear in popular psychology the idea that, you know, what somebody else thinks about you, what, what the crowd thinks about you doesn't matter. What really matters is what you think about yourself. And I know that, that sounds good, and we've, we've, we've had lots of um, opportunities to drink deeply of that stream. But can I just offer to you some real candid advice? That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Because what you think about yourself, independent of what other people think of you, um, doesn't really show anything, doesn't prove anything. For example, let's say, let me illustrate it this way. Let's say that you thought of yourself as a great hunter. And you knew a person who just said, man, I'm a great hunter. I'm a great hunter. And they told themselves every day, I'm a great hunter, I'm a great hunter, I'm a great hunter. And one day, one day, after showing all these people that he was a great hunter, and, and, and they were like, nah, he's not a very good hunter. He's not even a hunter at all. And you're like, well, he keeps saying he's a great hunter. And so you whip out your phones, as we often do in the fall, and you show all the bros the kill from that fall. You show their deer, or you show whatever they've, they've taken as game. And this guy pulls out his phone, and he shows pictures of him dipping crickets and chocolate and eating them. And he says, look at what a good hunter I am. And he's got a bucket full of crickets that he gathered from the corners of his home. And he said, I'm a good hunter, I'm a good hunter. But we all know that he's not a good, listen, that, that's like on the verge of insanity. That's not what we mean by hunting. Hunting means wild game. And this guy is saying he's a good hunter because he's killing, no, he's a good, uh, he's, 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 he's good at something, but he's not a good hunter. I mean, that's foolish. And yet we're constantly trying to give ourselves a name, aren't we? We're trying to label ourselves. We're trying to say, well, I'm good at this, or my worth is, I'm valuable because of this. And what Jesus says to us is, I, I know you. I know you intimately. I know you to the bottom. And you can't name yourself. In the Old Testament, to name something was to give it a purpose, to give it a direction. It was to, to exhibit authority over something. So in the, Old, um, in the Old Testament, for example, Abram's name is changed to Abraham because he's the father of many nations. In the New Testament, Simon's name is changed to Peter because Jesus gives him a purpose. He gives him a new name. And here, Jesus says, you can't label yourself because you have a faulty sense of self-image. You have a faulty sense of self-understanding. I have to name you. I have to come alongside and give you your name and your true identity. So Jesus shows us that he knows us, which is good news for us, because we have a faulty 
view of our own understanding. We, we don't reason well. We don't make good decisions often. And also, we have a faulty self-image. And Jesus comes to provide us the name that we need. Now, not, also, not only does he know us, but, but secondly, in verse 15, we see that he values us. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. Now, this is certainly where Jesus bursts the bonds of the metaphor of a shepherd and a sheep because as much as we may love our pets, as much as we may love um, our possessions, if my dog, who I dearly love, were to jump into a bonfire or a fiery furnace, I love her, but I wouldn't go after her. And the most, the greatest animal lover I know is my next door neighbor who's a veterinarian. He wouldn't go after her either. But Jesus here says, I lay my life down for my sheep. And in Greek, that little preposition for, it's hard to communicate in English, but it means in the place of. I lay my life down in the place of my sheep. And so what's this say to us? It says that Jesus values us. He values us far more than we had ever imagined or now. Like Jesus, not only, not only are we foolish, and not only does Jesus know us, like he knows us down to the dregs. He knows the mistakes you've made in the past, and he knows the mistakes you're going to make in the future. And even though he knows that, he lays his life down for you because you are valuable. Now, quarantine gives all of us crazy habits. And I happened one day to stumble upon that great work of American cinematography, The Antique Roadshow. <laughs> and if you've seen The Antique Roadshow, you know where there's a host and there's a table and people bring their, their treasure, they bring their stuff to be evaluated by these guys to tell, or these women to be able to tell how valuable um, the items that they bring are. And, and when I was watching, this lady, had, uh, she found in her attic an old trunk that was her great-grandfather's. And in the bottom of this trunk were a whole bunch of coins, a bunch of loose coins. And so she gathers them up, and she takes these, and she goes to the antique roadshow. And they're looking through this coin, and they find amidst all of these coins of hers, they find the 1913 um, special edition of a U.S. dollar. And to her, it just looked like a darkened coin, one among many. But they look at it more closely, and they see that it was, it was made in San Francisco. And it's unique. In fact, there are only 11 of these in the world. And so she's, you know, she's, you can see her starting to light up. Oh, this is getting interesting. I thought they were just a bunch of, you know, darkened coins. And he ends up telling her, he calls somebody over, and they look at it, and he said, there are 11 of these in the world. And this is worth over, it's $1, it says, on the coin, but it's worth over a million dollars. Now, when Jesus looks at us, he sees something of us that is of incredible value, even though he knows, even though he knows the mistakes you've made. He values you. In fact, he has more confidence and he, has, he places more value on your own life than you do probably of your own. I mean, Jesus gave his life for you. When a shepherd in the ancient Near East would, would keep his sheep in a field, he often kept his sheep, um, it says in verse 1, it was in the sheep gate. And the sheep gate is an area 
where there would be multiple family sheep all put together. And um, it would be a, a brick wall, probably up to your waist in height. And there would often be a gate, but that gate wouldn't latch. And so there'd have to be somebody who was there to watch the sheep at night while the shepherds went and slept and they came back the next morning. But the sheep in the sheep gate was, you know, they didn't have banks back then. They didn't put their money away in some vault or in, in, in some investment. The sheep were their money. That was their treasure. And so for a shepherd to look at his sheep, like he is valuing them. Like that's his treasure. And that's also what Jesus thinks of you. You're his treasure. He comes for you. And he dies for you. And so one of the ways that Jesus shows us he's a good shepherd is that he knows his sheep. He knows the mistakes you've made in the past and he knows the mistakes you're going to make in the future. He knows you down to the dregs. He knows everything about you. And even in spite of that, he values you. He sees you and he runs and he says, yes, you're my sheep. And I lay my life down in the place of my sheep. And when you begin to put those two things together, when you begin to see how much he knows you and how much he values you, then, then you're, beginning, you're beginning to understand something of the gospel. Because the fact that he knows you shows you the doctrine of sin. That your self-evaluation and your habits and your sins go deeper than you think. And Jesus knows every one of them. He knows you. And yet Jesus values you. You begin to see the doctrine of the atonement of Christ. And when you take your sin and you take the doctrine of the atonement and you put them together, you're beginning, you're beginning to get the gospel. And when you're melted by that, it changes you. It shapes you. Because your shepherd not only knows you, but he values you and he lays his life down for you. Now next, not only does he know you, not only does he value you, but also look at verse 3. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep out by name and he leads them. He knows their name and he leads them out. Let's look at those two things. He leads them out first. Now in the West, when, when shepherds will um, want sheep or they want their livestock to go somewhere, in the West, shepherds drive their sheep, just like you see people do cattle drives. You use, a, you use dogs, you use four-wheelers or side-by-sides or trucks, and you move from the rear. You push them. But in the ancient Near East and in the East today, a shepherd leads his animals. And so here, Jesus leads them out. So sheep in the East will follow their shepherd, whereas sheep in the West tend to get pushed and driven by their shepherd, just a difference of way we, we um, have developed agricultural and ranching habits. But Jesus leads them out, which means, which means that he's with you, that he's not behind you whipping you with a stick like a lot of you um, may think that, that Jesus is just some, someone who's commanding that you obey and he's making you suffer when you don't. No, Jesus is saying, I am leading you. I am, I am the one who is going before you. I've been there. I've been there. I know what it's like to be tempted like you are. I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like. And Jesus calls us to follow him. And so we follow the voice of our shepherd as he leads us out. And this is incredibly encouraging because when you find yourself in the midst of, um, of suffering or of tragedy or of difficulty, that Jesus is there. He's always there. 
And when you wander off, Jesus is going to lead you. He's going to, he's going to lead you. He's going to, he's going to find you. He's going to bring you back into the fold, and he's going to take care of you. He's there. He's with you. Do you know that? Jesus is leading us out. He wants us to know that we are his sheep, and we know his voice, and we should follow him. So Jesus is a good shepherd, and that he knows you intimately. He values you supremely. And he leads you. But also, it says he names you. Jesus names you. And as I alluded to earlier, to be given a name by somebody was not just a label. If you're in school or if you're in grad school or oftentimes when you go for a credit score, you're just a series of numbers. You've got an ID associated with your name. Your driver's license has a long number that's how they know you. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to give you a name. I'm going to call you mine. And so he leads the sheep out. And again, this is where John you know, shows us that Jesus bursts the bonds of the shepherding metaphor. Because the sheep will know them, but it's not, I mean, the shepherd will know the sheep, but it's not like a sheep actually names the sheep. But here Jesus names them. It's like he leads them out and he says, you know, here's Larry, here's Mo, here's Curly, here they are. He names them. He knows every one of them by name. And he knows you by name. And to receive a name is to receive a status, is to receive significance. It is to receive purpose. Jesus gives you the purpose. He gives you a name, just like he gave Peter a name. He gave Peter the rock, because he was going to be the rock upon which he founded his church. He gave Abraham a name, because he was going to be the father of many nations. He named him. And so also, friends, he named you. And as you walk, the longer you're a Christian, the more that you hear your name, the more that you live into your name. Every one of us has a name, as it were. We're given gifts. We're given ways that we can particularly obey and follow the shepherd in unique ways with our own unique name, the way that he has called us in our gifts and our talents. Do you know what your name is? Do you know your gifts? Do you know your tendencies? Do you know your strengths? And that takes us to the second point, is so what does this all mean for me? If Jesus is the good shepherd, if he shows us that he brings the doctrine of sin, that he knows us, even amidst all of our mistakes, all of our future mistakes, he knows us and he loves us. And it shows us that he values us, that he gives his life down in place for us, that he leads us, that he names us. What does this therefore mean for us? Well, it means that as he leads us out, we should follow him. You should follow him. And you should follow him, Scripture says, comprehensively. You don't just, a sheep doesn't just follow a shepherd in certain parts of its life. A sheep follows the shepherd completely dependently, utterly dependent upon the care of the shepherd. Do you follow him like that? You shouldn't say to the Lord, God, you can have all of this, but don't touch my finances. You can have all this of my life, but, but please don't touch my job. You can have all of this, but please don't touch my marriage. Don't touch my children. And I know that for some of us, that's, um, it's a struggle. Because we struggle to follow Jesus comprehensively. Because we've followed other shepherds. And I know many of you, as your pastor, I know many of you have thought, well, those of you, when you were single, you thought, if I could just get married, if I could just have kids, then, then 
I will be able to live the purpose and life out for which God called me. But subtly, you begin to bruise the head of your spouse because you're trying to cram them into your heart. They're meant to be side by side with you, not to be in your heart. And you're constantly bruising their head, trying to fit them in there because you viewed your spouse as your shepherd. And so it's no wonder why you're heartbroken all the time because your shepherd's going to fail you. They're sinful just like you are. And the truth of the matter is, if, if you knew all the thoughts of your spouse, then, man, you would probably be repulsed. But if, if they knew all the thoughts that you had, then they too would be repulsed. So we're kind of all in it together. If you knew my thoughts, oh, my gosh, you wouldn't listen to me. And if I knew all of your thoughts, I wouldn't be motivated to talk to you. We're all in it together. But Jesus knows us, and he values us, and he invites us to follow him, and we have to do it comprehensively. Secondly, not only do we follow him comprehensively, but we have to follow him unconditionally. We have to follow him unconditionally, which means that there's no area of our life marked off from his care. So if a shepherd, if a sheep wanders off, if a shepherd goes after that sheep, you know, you read, um, you know, you read in Luke 15, and the shepherd goes and pulls the lamb, and he puts him on his shoulder, and he carries him home. But it doesn't tell you what happened before he put him on his shoulder and he carries him home. Because for a shepherd to go to a lost sheep and to bring him home, do you know what the shepherd has to do? He has to pick him up, drop him to the ground and stun him, tie his hands and feet up, and then carry him home. We don't hear about the stun part, but we experience that part all the time. And so what that means is if the shepherd is loving you well, then you're going to be constantly stunned by his loving embrace. And therefore, you're constantly going to be saying that his treatment of me isn't fair. It's too rough. But it's the fact that he cares for you that is proof that he's coming after you, that he loves you so much. And so people will say, well, listen, following Jesus, he's not the abundant life because he's so rough with me. Oh, my gosh. That's precisely because he's bringing you back in the fold. Don't you see it? He is loving you. He's not rough. He's tender. He's bringing you home, even though your circumstances at the moment are going to be stunning to you as he throws you down to the ground. So he leads us. We should follow him comprehensively. We should follow him unconditionally. Third, we should follow him personally. He's our shepherd. We should talk to him. We know his voice. Do you know him? Do you know that even though he knows everything you've ever done and everything you will do. He loves you and he values you. And have you placed your faith in him? Do you trust him? You turn from your wayward and bad shepherds who are thieves, who are robbers. You know, a hireling is just in it for the money. And when the wolf comes, he's cutting and running. A thief is just there to abuse you and use you. But a shepherd is there for your protection. And he loves you. He cares for you. He's with you. And therefore, you must know him personally. And so do you talk to him? Do you pray to him? Not just for transactions of goods, not just saying, please provide this, but do you talk to him? Do you dwell with him? In Psalm 23, probably the most famous passage of, of shepherding in the Bible, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's a shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He's a shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. He's a shepherd. He restores my soul. That's shepherd care. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, there's a shepherd. And then in verse 5, he says, but you prepare a table before me, and something flips. The shepherd becomes your friend. 
there's a table for you. And he invites you to that table. And to know Jesus as a shepherd means you must ultimately know him as a friend. And you must know him personally. Do you? Not only should you know him comprehensively and follow him comprehensively, unconditionally, and personally, but lastly, you should follow him as a shepherd yourself. Jesus lays his life down for the sheep. The shepherd lays his life down. The shepherd becomes a lamb for the sheep so that the sheep might become shepherds for his people. He's given you a name that you might step into that name. Would you step into it? He's given you gifts that you might do it. Would you do it? Would you walk in obedience? Would you stop being so passive in your spirituality? And would you look and say, Lord, he has called you. He's called you. He's given you talents and gifts. Would you step into those? Would you say, Lord, how can you use me? Would you shepherd? Would you shepherd? Would you lead? Would you care? Would you be the hands and feet of Christ in the lives of others? Well, friends, listen. There are lots of shepherds that we can follow. None of them but the Lord Jesus Christ are good because Jesus knows you. He values you. He leads you. He gives you a name. And he asks you to follow him comprehensively. He asks you to follow him unconditionally. He asks you to follow him personally. And he asks you to be a shepherd yourself. So would you encourage each other with these words this morning? And would you see in John 10.10, lastly, that Jesus says in verses 15 through 18, that there are other sheep that I'm going to bring in. He, John there is, he is reminding us that Jesus is speaking of the Gentiles. That the church is a very diverse group of people. And we're all called in this together. And there's no greater diversity than in Christ's church in the world because every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to be in it. And therefore, all the more reason to use your gifts, to nurture, to minister, to care for those who are in Christ's church because he's making all of us one. He knows us, and he values us. He is our good shepherd who lays his life down for all those who would look to him. Would you do that? Would you comfort each other with these good words? Let's pray together. Father, would you comfort us by the great truth that though the thief comes to steal kill and destroy. You come that we might have life and have it abundantly. Oh, Lord, would you show us? Show us how beautiful you are and that you know us, that you value us, that you lead us, that you name us, and that you have asked us in response to follow you. Lord, help us to do that. Thank you that you are the good shepherd. Mm. You will never leave us or forsake us. You lead us out. You do not drive us by rods. You lead us out in tenderness and compassion. Help us to hear your voice and to respond in faith and repentance, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.